everyone. Hello. Before we get started, just a quick shout out to a listener who left us an Apple Podcasts review. Review shout out. If you leave us a review, you'll get your very own rating on our Badass Lady Meter. Yeah. So do it. This review is from Nancy and Blue, which makes me think of Nancy Drew, so it makes Nancy me happy. Drew. She's back in blue. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for listening and for leaving a review. Our rating for you is Tamara Pierce releasing her next New Mirror book. Ah, I want to read it so bad. <laughs> as soon as possible. Please. And I don't say that in a, uh, you know, I don't want to rush Tammy. And I know she's also had some health stuff going on this year. So take care of yourself. I just, you know, I'm excited. But that's your rating. And that's my wish. If you would like to leave us a review, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and do so. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And now the episode. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes, we do. This week, The Forgotten Beasts of Eld by Patricia A. McKillop. Wind chimes and a distant lion's roar. <laughs> Wasn't gonna try a lot of wind chimes in our recent It's songs. appropriate. <laughs> Is the wind chime the official fantasy literature instrument? I think so. Let us know. Chime in, if uh, you will. This book was published in 1974, and it was the winner of the inaugural World Fantasy Award, which is pretty cool. Oh, okay. Before we get started, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one in a while, or you haven't read it at all, go check it out. It's impossible to put down once you get started. Yeah, it's quite quite a, it's a ride. This episode was a listener request by multiple listeners. Thank you so much, Thank everyone. you, listeners. Thank you. We really appreciate it when we get requests from you, and we love diving into different books that are important to different people mm-hmm. and revisiting our own feelings about them. So if you'd like to leave a request, you can get in touch at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Do it. Let's talk about how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. So going a little off script here, because the copy of this book that I read or attempted to read more on that soon when I was young was a different edition than is widely available now. I believe it was the first edition I think my library had a copy for whatever reason, because the cover that I'm familiar with is the original cover of the first release of the book. Um, so this cover features uh, Sybil gazing forth, looking out into the world Who's with... the second person? Tam. It has to be Tam. Yeah, okay. Because he's little. <laughs> you know, it would be really funny if that was Corin. <laughs> really small. <laughs> it would be great. Like, we don't get into this in the story, but Corin is... The size of a teen. <laughs> um, and Tam is looking toward the viewer. There is a red cloak flowing behind Sybil. And Tear, appropriately sized, yeah. is flying just above them. His eye is absolutely enormous. <laughs> and it really makes me afraid of him. Yeah. And Ghoul's Lion is staring out 
piercingly mugging. Yeah. <laughs> in a very like both fearsome and cute way. That yeah, I it's, really it's also very cute. Reminds me of animal. Yeah, my kitty animal. It does look like animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a deep forest growing up around them, but there's also a distant blue horizon. Mm-hmm. So I think this cover captures really well the interplay between the isolation of Eld Mountain and mm-hmm. then Sybil and Tam's entrance into these two kingdoms mm-hmm. that they become very intertwined with. Yeah, um, I think it's absolutely gorgeous it's compelling it accurately conveys some of the specialness of this book yeah great cover yeah um the reissue (laughs) it's a little bit different uh this is the cover that i was shown on my ebook that i read um And it is a kind of like pastiche of newer fantasy cover problems, in my opinion. There's a combination of original art and like photographs that have been heavily edited of real animals. The animals are not the right size. Well, it's just clearly like an actual lion, an actual falcon, a domestic house cat um which they don't those She's aren't the be a forgotten panther. those aren't the forgotten beasts of eld it's yeah. just like a calvin and Hobbes thing where actually like they're <laughs> they're just normal animals yeah Sybil sees them as great beasts and everyone else is like okay that's that's actually like a pigeon that you're calling a <laughs> it's a tiny little black cat yeah maybe i'm not sure um, and yeah, Sybil has a very Daenerys look about her. Yeah. Um, and I think that something like this is what ends up making these really spectacular, important fantasy books feel like they belong kind of with the dregs of the lower quality, high fantasy type stuff. Right. Stuff that was not created with heart. Exactly. Totally agree. And, and then, yeah, why don't you touch on your audiobook cover? It's just so fascinating to see the different ways in which we're encountering the same story. Yeah. So on this cover, um, it portrays, it's a very like 70s, 80s cover. Um, Sybil flying on the back of the dragon um, guild. And uh, the dragon is very... Um, serpent like but he's mm-hmm. got huge wings spread out and she's uh arms akimbo <laughs> outstretched on his back in this like lavender jumpsuit and has Ooh. a very fine uh curvaceous figure mm-hmm. that is like very evident because of her jumpsuit it's just it looks more uh-huh. like a uh, like an album cover <laughs> like a high fantasy cover Wow. It's a great cover. I mean, it's... it's That color palette, it's too. Wild. It's wild. <laughs> it's a wild green, cover. Green, <laughs> orange, and pink all coming together. Yeah. Yeah. This was made with passion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not passion for the book itself, <laughs> but... <laughs> but there was a lot of feeling. Yeah, definitely passion for <laughs> dragons and buxom women. And ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll put all three of these covers up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, so you can take a look feel free we love to see other people's covers so yeah. you can hit us up on twitter at dragon babies pod or you can email us with your covers yes 
So, we've reached that time. <laughs> Madeline, <laughs> would you like to give us a plot summary? I would. Of this book. Okay. Um, this book starts out <laughs> with a sort of uh, biblical... Mm-hmm. Horus, son of Ham. <laughs> like, I don't know if this Horus, son of Ham. <laughs> Mixing together some different <laughs> mythologies there. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to write our own Bible today. <laughs> Everyone's going to love gonna it. It's going to be called Horus, son of Ham. Sybil <laughs> uh, is the main character in this book. The beginning of the book is the tale of her lineage, like mm-hmm. how she came to live alone on a mountain surrounded by fantastic creatures. Yeah. Um, Very Tolkien-esque. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the important part of her lineage, um, I mean, she comes from people who don't like people. That's why they live alone on the mountain. And wizardry. Yes. Yeah. They are wizards. Um, they have magic. And the important thing about Sybil's parentage, um, besides the fact that there's wizardry and hermits in her blood, um, is that her mother was from Eldwold, uh, the neighboring kingdom uh, and uh, she was an important member of the nobility, and she died giving birth to Sybil. So that's why Sybil's alone, because then her father, um, Ogham, also dies uh, when she's not very old. So she lives alone in the mountain with all of these um, forgotten beasts that her ancestors have called, and that uh, she has the magic to be able to live with. They're kind of like friends like a little bit of prisoners but like also it's complicated they're not like they're not slaves definitely not and and they appreciate sybil for Caring. basically like bringing the reverence that they deserve yeah. to their treatment because they're forgotten mm-hmm. like the world doesn't really have a place for them anymore but that changes by the end of the book um okay so that's sybil lives alone on the mountain um, and then one day, uh, Corin of uh, Cyril. Cyril shows up and he's like, here's a baby. And she's like, gross. I don't want it. And, he, and she's 16 at this point. Yeah. Um, and uh, the baby uh, gets left with her. And then she's like, okay, like I'll, I'll look at the baby as another forgotten beast type like Mm -hmm. if i can take care of all them i can take care of and love this baby um but she's really not into corin at the beginning she's like get out of here i don't want to deal with you um oh go ahead don't drag me into your war games totally and at that point i think it's important to mention that she doesn't know if she actually can love she doesn't Mm. feel that that's something that she's ever experienced Mm -hmm. but within a day of having the baby she's feeling things yeah, um, and so she and the baby are happy. And then there's another, there's one other woman who is part of Sybil's family, and her name is Melga, um, who is a witch who lives on the mountain, also in kind of isolation. And Melga plays foster mother to Sybil and helps her raise yeah. this baby because Sybil is 16, and no one ever taught her how to raise a baby. And she... Like beyond that, it hasn't even been socialized. Right. Yeah. So they're they're like a little family. Um cut to twelve years in the future. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it, it jumps forward in time when uh, Tam, the baby, Tam Lorne, is now not a baby anymore. He is now a child. Uh, and uh, the important thing about Tam is that he is actually the heir to the throne of Eldwald. Eldwald. Uh, the current king's name is Dreed. Tam is Dreed's baby and Dreed's wife. There was some uncertainty about that. Yeah, because Dreed's wife was cheating on him with this other. Maybe. Maybe with this other guy. And Dreed got all um, like the Sultan and Scheherazade about it and was like, I can never trust a woman again. And anyways, so Corin shows up. Um, when Tam is a child and he's like, I need that kid because we're going to use him to overthrow the king. And, uh, Sybil is like, I don't like, I don't want to give him to you for your war games. And he, he's his own person. Like he doesn't want that. Like he wants to be here. Um, Corin, when he comes back, he gets mauled by the dragon, uh, because, I don't really understand particularly why. Dragon is dragon. And yeah, it sounds, <laughs> to be honest, it sounds like Corin made eye contact yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a dragon. So, you know, dragons are going to dragon. Yep. Um, she heals Corin, finds out that Corin has also some magical wizard powers uh, where he knows he knows things like he has the gift of wisdom and he like sees things in dreams and in waking life so he knows about the beasts he knows about her Um, and unlike a lot of other people who basically don't intersect with Sybil in any way they don't like learn about her Mm -hmm. or the beasts he has sought out that knowledge yes yeah Yeah. Um, and so she heals him and then she sends him back off She's like, get out of here. I don't want to deal with you. Um, And then after that point, Tam is talking to her and he's saying, well, so my father's the king. Like, can I meet my dad? Like, I would like to meet my dad. And Sybil's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. So she calls the king there, Dreed, um, who like seems chill at the time. Uh, And he meets Tam uh, Tam decides that he actually wants to go with Dreed uh, to learn about what he, he is born to. Sybil is sad, um, but she lets him go and... Uh, and refuses to go with. Dreed right, really wants right. her to come yeah. and like maybe marry him. Yeah, Dreed is like, I'll make you a queen. And she's like, well, that's more than Corin offered me. Or yeah. Everything she does in that conversation is just so indicative of the fact that she has no experience with kingdoms, wars, diplomacy. No, I know, but she just gives him so much ammunition to mistrust her. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. And worry about her. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And so he becomes obsessed with her, basically. Um, And not too long after that, Corn show up again? And that's when he's because like... Because she keeps calling him. Yeah, yeah, because she's trying to call the Lyrilin, which mm-hmm. is a magical white 
bird and <laughs> magical god bird that yeah. everybody wants and no one can have. Yeah, it's an analog for Sybil mm-hmm. um, because she's also a magical and also, white god and, bird. Exactly. And for Corrin in some ways too because the Lyrilin is like Sybil's heart's desire and that's why she keeps calling him when she thinks she's calling the Right, yeah. right. So Corrin shows up again and then this time he's like, I love you. And so was like, gross. <laughs> Doesn't really want to deal with it. Um, then she starts being called. Yeah, then she starts being called by Mithrak. Mithran. Mithran uh, is a super powerful wizard, and she starts being called by him, and she's like, this is bad. This is definitely going to be bad. She tells Melga, if I disappear, can you take care of my animals, please? Um, because this is bad. And Corin is there at the time, and he's like, I'll go with you. And she's like, don't come with me. You will die, and I don't want you to die. Uh, so she goes to the... The Eldwald to Eldwald to where the wizard is. The wizard is, ugh, this whole part was just the worst vibes ever. Um, I was very uncomfortable because the wizard tells her that Dreed paid him to capture her and uh, take away her willpower so that she will be happy with Dreed. And she begs, she's like, don't, like, I know you're more powerful than me. I'll just go with Dreed. You don't have to take away my willpower. Just let me have that. And I'll just, you know, I won't make trouble. Um, and the wizard says, like, okay, fine, talk to Dreed about it. Dreed says no. Um, Sybil is really, really just heartbroken and upset. Dreed leaves, and instead of putting the spell on her, the wizard is like, just kidding, I'm going to keep you um, because I'm not giving you to Dreed. Sybil is even more upset, uh, and she accidentally... Or on purpose, she calls this horrible... It's on purpose. Well, but, like, it's the only word that she could say yeah. um, when he loosens her his grip on her a little bit. Mm-hmm. So she does, yeah, she says it, and his, that word is... Blamor. Blamor, yeah. Blamor! Blamor! <laughs> um, the Blamor is, like, a fear creature, uh, and it shows up and turns... Uh, Mithran into hot pulp. <laughs> Just crunches up yeah, his bones. Yeah, and Sybil runs, and then Dreed comes back after that, and it's like, ah! <laughs> Not what he wanted no. to find in the chamber that day. Yeah. Um, so Sybil goes back, Coram is there, and then she says... Corin. You <laughs> just switch to Coram. We're changing to Tamara Pierce here. You're right. Corin um, is there. He's like, oh, no, you left without me. And she says, it's okay. I didn't die. Um, I've met the Blamor and he turned the wizard into pulp. And now I will marry you. Um, But she doesn't tell him the specifics of what happened or that Dreed was behind the Right, that Dreed did the the bad thing. Because Corrin already has his own revenge stuff with Dreed that he has been struggling with his whole life. And he gives it up. Mm -hmm. Like, Sybil had already said to him, you have to give that up or, like, I'll never even be able to be friends with you. And he does for her. And And promises that his brothers won't try to enmesh her Mm -hmm. in their plots against Eldwald. Yes. And then Sybil, after this, like, attempted mind rape slavery deal that Dream does. body rape. Right, yeah. yeah, It's just such a mess. Right. Um, She has her own beefs now. uh, And she does love Corrin, um, 
which like makes, I mean, it's better than some fantasy relationships. Mm-hmm. I can, I can see why he has grown on her. He's, he's pretty nice to her. <laughs> and she does it. Fiery help. hair. Yeah. He knows about the legends right. and the animals. Yeah. He's uh-huh. the only man she's met who isn't Dreed and a wizard. Who isn't like evil. Who isn't evil. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she she goes with Corin. Um, she says, "I'll marry you. I'll, but you gotta. We gotta bring my beasts with me." Uh, so they bring them to Eldwald, um, and you can hear on the periphery, kind of Corin's brothers talking about like how do we use Sybil's powers against Dreed. Sybil's not really into that, but then one day she pulls Corin's brother Rock aside and says, "Hey, actually, I am into it." I hate Dreed. I want to crush him and get rid of him. So I'll help you, but you can't tell Corin because I don't want him to think that I married him for the wrong reasons. And Even though she did. Right. Yeah, but she doesn't want to break us hard. Right. Um, and uh, Corin finds out. And she doesn't want him to take her revenge on himself. She wants to be able to enact it. Right. She wants her, to have herself. the agency. Yep. Yeah. Um, and during all this time, her son or her foster son is still with Dreed, like being yeah. raised to be the heir. Um, and he is like trying to contact her um, because suddenly Dreed told him that he was going to marry her. He didn't tell him about the rape. Um, and so Tam doesn't understand why Sybil suddenly married Corin instead of Dreed. And then Dreed started losing his mind. Yes. Dreed's losing his mind because he's terrified of Sybil. Um Okay, so then Sybil and Tam meet. They discuss that. Corin finds out. He's very upset with Sybil. Um, Sybil, like, her heart breaks. She abandons her plans on the eve of battle. She tells all the animals, you're free, do what you want. Because she was visited by the Blamor. Right. And now she has fear. Mm -hmm. So she narrowly escaped being consumed by it so then she's like okay this fear and this hate is bad um and so she goes back to the mountain after the battle which we learn about after her son or tam comes to the mountain and says sybil what are you doing and sybil's Sybil's sitting there vacant eyed and he like shakes her and brings her back to reality. And she said, Oh, it's Tim. And she's happy to see him. (laughs) And then Tim tells her what happened with the battle or just Corin. Nope. Tam does. Okay. Tam does. Uh, he says, yeah, the beasts did some stuff. They drew away a bunch of people. So those people wouldn't get hurt. Other people they killed. Uh, Dreed died of like fear or something. <laughs> um, so, you know, we don't really know why you're up here. And she says to him, like, I didn't tell them to do that. They did that themselves. Um, and then after that, then Corin shows up cause he's like, you called me again. <laughs> and they talk it out. Um, and get to a place where they feel like, okay with each other and about what's happened um and then the Learland shows up and uh, the end 
I, you know, your recaps are always a surprise. I never really know exactly what's going to happen, even though you're recapping a book we just read together. Okay, yeah, let's use that to head into our discussion. So let's discuss our old and new impressions of this book. Should we do the trademark? I haven't read this book. <laughs> well, I mean, I read it for the episode, but I hadn't read it before that. I like that you do that disclaimer now, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I attempted to read this when I was young and that's a tough read for a a young end. Yeah. It's also interesting to compare that to my experience reading it today because reading it when I was young, I don't think I ever got past, you know, like the first act. I don't think I got to the point where Sybil decided to leave the mountain in any capacity. Um, And the beginning of the book, I think for a young reader is a little tough because of what you mentioned about, you know, Horace, son of Ham, um, (laughs) the way that the lineages are laid out. I love as an adult reader. And also there's so much in the first two pages. (laughs) So much information. It's pretty staggering um that's why it made me think of like something biblical totally yeah so it's like one sentence is an entire generation right the next sentence is another generation Uh but patricia mckillop's writing is incredible yeah and while she is unpacking this exposition it's also like this gorgeous lyrical prose her writing is delicious yeah yeah (laughs) The line about Agam dying, it's something like Mm. he was sitting still in the moonlight when he went out of himself forever and then Sybil lived alone. It was like, what the heck? (laughs) Who gave you the right? (laughs) I know. Hit a plant. I'm so excited. (laughs) Flailing. Um, But I think I was just too young when I was attempting to read it. And the themes within are pretty complex. I don't know how much I would have understood about Mm -hmm. the meditation on the meaning of power and humanity and personal agency. Like, it's one of those ones that I think if I would have read it when I was young, I I would have been able to read it ultimately, but I would not have understood it. Mm -hmm. I would have been very confused, like, the whole time. Yeah, agree. But also I could have found I'm mean, and I did when I tried to read it I really loved the animals yeah and yeah, the they're animals are super so fun. cool and the fact that they each have really distinct personalities and their own histories mm-hmm. um just make them incredibly appealing mm-hmm. and the way that Sybil does kind of go about her relationships with them is really interesting because they also push back against her on some of her decisions that she's making or commands that she's trying to give them. Like yeah. she tells Ter to throw Corin off the mountain. Yeah. And he's like, um, okay, I will, comes. but yeah. maybe think about it yeah, first. But like, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right first move here. Yeah. Like maybe you should talk to him. He has a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Just try it. And Siren, the boar is a, like one of the most important characters in the book in a lot of ways, because he is constantly confronting Sybil with the darkness within her and the way that his refrain becomes every time he sees her in the like second half of the book, Mm -hmm. he says to her, 
I wrote it down because it's so good. The giant Groff was hit in one eye by a stone, and that eye turned inwards so that it looked into his mind, and he died of what he saw there. Oh my it's god. So great. It's so, so great. An enigmatic boar appears, stares at you with his red eyes, and says that. Like, how do you respond? And I there's one point at which he he starts to say it, and Sybil's like, Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> Like I laughed out loud because it is really like fearsome and it has Mm -hmm. such gravitas. So that little riff was pretty funny when she'd just be like, shut up. I know there are some really good moments of humor in the book. Yeah. um, Yeah. Which are very welcome. And like some of that is in the lighthearted ways in which she is communicating with these great beasts. Mm -hmm. But she, while she is, you know, part wizard and has this heritage within her, she's also human and like, young and wildly inexperienced with the world yeah. <clears throat> this actually reminds me of something we discussed during our last episode on the borrowers about how Arietti was fed these false tales about what the world was like yeah. and also totally deprived of contact with mm. anyone outside of her parents for you know the majority of her young life yeah and Sybil has no tools with which to enter into these really complicated human systems she has Melga but Melga is also a hermit and also has spent you know most of her life on the mountain Um, and while she acted as like you mentioned a foster mother to Sybil Mm -hmm. and to Tam um, she can't give her an understanding of how to cope with her own emotions and how to wield the power that she has in a way that is responsible to the world as opposed to kind of following her own whims and letting them take her where she wants to go on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, And something that I was thinking about when I read it and now is she is, she's in such a dangerous place because she's, young she's incredibly powerful she has like amazing allies Mm -hmm. in these these beasts and she's really beautiful and she has like no idea about how to exist in the world outside of her bubble and it's a really dangerous place to be in and I think that by the end of the book she's come to a place where she's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But during the book, I was like, I was worried about her. I thought that she was going to burn away or like get horribly used and discarded or, or not, you know, let her rage consume Mm -hmm. her or something like that. So I think all things considered the end of this book is a really, really happy one. It is, but it's also a hard one. And I think that's true. When you're reading it, you, you want Sybil to be able to grow her wizardly knowledge yeah. and power and maintain this menagerie of called beasts yeah. in her crystal dome and marble palace in the mountain. Yeah, before and she left, I was rooting for her to stay. Totally. But then it becomes too late for her to do that anymore because she has learned love and hate Mm -hmm. and she can't remain isolated any longer. And oh my God, it's so sad and beautiful. And her decision to carry out a life with Corin and like have kids with him and live in Cyril, Mm. it's not what 
the reader, I feel, or me at least, for most of the book would actually want for her to have. Yeah. Um, you know, it is that like, quote unquote, happy ending that you see in a lot of like fairy tales, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything's like ending with a neat marriage bow, right? but it's actually way more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Patricia McKillop, not for a second, is thinking or saying that like this is going to solve all her problems, but the growth that she experienced in the book because that she has to, she has to leave the mountain mm-hmm. yeah. and, and she needs to be around people. Yeah. She's learning how to be a human with other humans mm-hmm. um, which or is really tough. be a human at all and if you think about it like it's not just her trauma and experience it's like the baked in trauma from her mom and like her mom's mom before her yeah. like they were both captured and yeah her mom's story is like is kind of rough like it seems like she just got stole by her dad definitely and then, and then the dad had a baby and then the mom died yeah definitely like, And her father and her grandfather were like men of few words who were frightening and just cared about taking care of the beasts. Like Ogham gave Sybil love to the best of his ability, but I can't imagine how horrific an experience that was for her mother and it ended her life. Um, And that's what Sybil knows of how to be in a family. Yeah. Um, and she's so warmed by seeing Corin's family, his brothers and their wives and their children and the community that they have. Yeah. She's like surprisingly, she's surprised by her reaction. Exactly. She keeps saying like, I can't believe it feels this good to be in this like busy place and be around these people and like have five children watching me eat and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, but that is really appealing to her and like. It's kind of the, I think it's kind of a perfect depiction of how, I don't know, maybe the two of us felt when we were younger in some ways of like, you're sitting and reading these books and you're like, I'm excited to go on my adventure and my journey and Mm -hmm. I'm going to accomplish things, but like, I'm just going to do it for me. Like, I'm going to be independent. I don't need to get married. (laughs) Like, I don't have to worry about other people. But like, the truth of it is that like, you make connections you fall in love like Mm -hmm. you have these experiences and realize that you want to share them with someone as opposed to being like the solitary woman on the mountain like being alone is in my opinion obviously different for everyone it feels very powerful um because you are the keeper of your own existence Mm -hmm. um but then letting people in is like, yeah, you have to share pieces of yourself and then they're not part of your like powerful internal, like yeah. this is for me and only for me. Um, but in my experience, it is, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what that, this book made me think about, about like learning to let people in and accepting the trade off because you find that actually the, the trade is a good one. Yeah. Yeah powerful stuff yeah this this book is really really good i think yeah i made me think a lot i was just thinking through like 
all the books that are within this book because it's really so many things. Like we have the coming of age story for Sybil. Um, And, you know, like we've been talking about, you know, how does a a young woman who's never lived in society manage when she's thrust into complicated interkingdom war plots? Mm -hmm. Like not great at first. (laughs) She gets a lot better. It reminds me a little of um, Crown Duel, and oh, or court duel—that's the second one, mm-hmm. um, which I did read, but we didn't actually do for the podcast by Sherwood Smith, uh, which is about the main character like learning to live with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, like it's interesting watching someone learn to be a human, <laughs> which is—I mean, I feel like that's what I went through in like college and after mm-hmm. college just yeah. learning to be a human no for sure and have healthy relationships and uh, you know like well it's really like a so coming of age story but then also like a psychological investigation yeah. um into Sybil's mind and like the mental impact of love and loss of Tam and assault mm-hmm. um all taking place within a really short span of time on someone who has never learned to relate emotionally or Mm -hmm. articulate her own feelings in a clear way. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond, like I mentioned that like absorption into the day-to-day desires that kind of take her over and like her wanting to, you know, learn more so that she can call more animals Mm -hmm. and like take control of them. And like her ongoing obsession with the Lyrilin, um, who is, like you mentioned, an analog for herself. So yeah. there's that inherent hypocrisy there because she will not be chained or had her, have her will taken away. Mm-hmm. And yet all she can think about in terms of long-term goals are to exert her will over the Lyrilin. Yeah. And she will go into like fugue states trying to call it. Yeah. Um, and I, I do really love that she keeps accidentally calling Cora and he shows up and he's like, you called me. <laughs> She's know. like, oh God, why are you here? <laughs> Gotta fix my brain phone. Yeah. <laughs> working right. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about Sybil giving up some of her freedom in yeah. um, giving up that solitude, but that was actually thrust on her from when she was 16 and the baby was brought into her life yeah. because from that point forward, she could no longer be an independent entity. Yeah, she had to take care of a baby. And I think it's also really interesting that her father and grandfather were like, okay, I need to like mate with someone so I can have a an son heir. to pass yeah. my animal kingdom down onto. And I don't think Sybil ever would have done that no no I, she she was just she had a different kind of mind about it than they ever did yeah until the world interfered that is right um okay and then what else it's a revenge narrative yes um in a really fierce way um starting with Corin's revenge and then he gives that up just in time for Sybil to kind of take that yoke on yeah. and it's Become seized by it. Well, and it's fascinating because he has talked about revenge so much to her at that point. Like that's what's driving him. He's a very like Inigo Montoya type <laughs> character. Um, but then Sybil isn't actually able to ruminate on that and say, this isn't going to serve me or anyone. If I put two kingdoms, actually more kingdoms than that, because she calls in leaders of neighboring cities to create a war 
so that I can strip this man of everything he cares about before killing him Mm. and then putting my son on the throne. But she doesn't even really want to put Tam on the throne. She wants Rock to Corrin's older brother and the patriarch of their group. She just wants to do what she wants to do, which is destroy Dreed mm-hmm. and then rock because she's enlisted him as her um, compatriot in accomplishing this. He is going to be able to be like a shadow king for yeah. Elthold. Right. She just wants to get Dreed. Like that's her main objective there. And I will say that, um, you know, I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I would be mad. That scene with Mithran is so disturbing. It's upsetting. Um, I was upset. Because there's not only a near rape, there is an extended discussion of how all of her agency is going to be taken away from her and she's not going to know it. Yeah. Um, But then beyond that, the wizard says, no, I don't want to take your agency away from you. Like, I want you to be powerful and become more powerful, but I also want you to be my like personal puppet. It's just so creepy. And I am really grateful that uh, the Blamor shows up. (laughs) The Blamor is like (laughs) main like acting force within the plot and many different points in the book, but he doesn't, it doesn't feel like a deus ex machina or anything like that because the Blamor just is like, Sybil's will incarnate in a lot of ways um, because she controls the Blamor until she has fear, but then she discards the fear by letting the animals go and extricating herself from the war. And then the Blamor is like, hey, you know what? I'm actually the Lyrilin. That's my dark side. This is my light side. And the only way that you can access the Lyrilin, this great fabled beast, is to be able to let go of the darkness within yourself. Turns out the journey was the Blamor all along. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this this isn't in any fault due to the writing or the tone of the book. This is just my own, um, like it's the vault of your brain. Yeah. The way that I have obsessive thoughts. Um, but when <laughs> I was thinking about it, um, if you've ever played super smash brothers 64, uh, sometimes you throw a pokeball and it's coughing and he shows up and just goes, Coughing and then go, like, like all this gas just throws out and really messes anyone up who's around and that's oh, I can't the, believe we're talking about Smash the, right now. The Blammer made me think of that because it's like when it shows up, it just messes everything up. There's the room. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh yeah. <laughs> it even sounds like it. Yes. Okay, I totally get that. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, uh, then the other thing that the book is, as we've mentioned, is this Tolkien-esque high fantasy that's like an extended experiment in world building and mythology creation. Very Tolkien-esque. This game would be a great video game, like a Final Fantasy game or something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because there are these different eras and there's through lines running for like every character, every event, there are these hierarchies of wizards and beasts and humans and they're all coexisting in some capacity is this a standalone yeah wow 
Also, this was Patricia McKillop's first book, which, <laughs> okay, not going to oh, try to write anymore. Goodness. <laughs> Way to flex on everyone. And she was 26 when she wrote it. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's one of those books that at once makes fantasy feel easy to write. It's like, yeah, this can just flow out of you, right? And then you sit down and attempt to do it, and you're like, oops. <laughs> nope. Wow, she's really kind of a genius, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I also wanted to um, – we haven't had a dedicated – haven't had a dedicated magic systems discussion in a little while and Mm -hmm. i think this book is ripe for the conversating (laughs) that got away from me um so there's naming magic in this book which i always enjoy and reminds me of the earth sea books by ursula le guin Mm -hmm. um we have an episode on the tombs of atuan yeah naming magic is really cool and i find it very interesting and like easy to pull into your own life totally which is one of my favorite things about yeah. magic systems when i can be like oh i can like add this to my own mental like magic going on in yeah. my own life <laughs> yeah no I, I i totally relate to that yeah um and i really i it is really really true that if you're trying to connect with someone use their name look at them in the eyes and use their name <laughs> I know. I almost get uncomfortable saying people's names to them sometimes. Well, yeah, it's, exactly. It's so much. Because it's it's so powerful. <laughs> so much. Like I'll only use it if it's if it feels right. Mm-hmm. Then there's also beyond the naming magic, there is an interesting wizard human divide where the wizards have the magic, the humans seem like they don't, but then there are also these in-between figures like I think Corin is the most mysterious because we don't learn anything about his lineage, including of, a wizard or anything like that. But he has these super abilities. I think he ability. is druidic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, <laughs> funny enough, before I started listening to Forgotten Beasts of Eld, I had been listening to Daughter of the Forest by Juliet um, Marillier. <laughs> Marillier. Um and that it's a Celtic fantasy book um, mm. and Forgotten Beasts of Eld, uh, maybe because I was reading that one at the same time, but it did remind me of certain elements of that cool. um, with like the naming magic. And so I think it's Celtic influenced mm. that sort of like okay. magic um, like has roots in actual paganism. Mm-hmm. That's all. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'll check that book out. <laughs> oh yeah. It's really, really great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I like uh, I like that connection between um, like the different types of magic users and how even though it's just so exhausting that even though humans are they don't have these abilities they become engaged in all these petty squabbles and wars yeah. and those manage to overshadow the people who do have the ability right like I mean the wizard Mithrin is a really um, complicated figure i'm definitely not a fan of him but i see i see the deep brokenness that's there because he is an incredibly powerful wizard who has spent his life doing like contract gigs for kings and giving in to 
like destroying the beautiful things that these kings want destroyed, mm-hmm. um, which he refuses to do with Sybil, yeah. but you know, costs him his life. And he was gonna just, hot pope. He was just gonna take her for himself anyway. Yeah. Um, the other piece of this book that I didn't have a chance to mention yet is just about what it means to be a woman. Um, especially in a place and time where men for, you know, lack of a better phrase are fully in charge. Um, they have the autonomy, they have the autonomy, but then Sybil just by existing has power over them, right? Because she is all the things that you were mentioning earlier. She is, you know, incredibly talented in Mm -hmm. her wizarding skills. She is smart. She is calculating and cold in like a way that actually gives her an advantage Mm -hmm. over others. And she's also young and beautiful. And she, like you said, she doesn't know how to wield those pieces of herself um, in a way that's like safe and responsible for herself and for the others around her. Mm -hmm. That scene when she goes to rock Corin's older brother, who's like the patriarch and has been, you know, involved in complex plots throughout his life and has been desperate to take down Dreed. And she goes in so confident, so certain and says, this is what we're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. This and is who we're going to tell out. about it. Yeah. And takes complete control and later she realizes like hey maybe it's not a good thing to basically think of humans and like entire populations as like my chess pieces yeah um yeah and realizes like the darkness that's grown within her but but she's able to do that from Mm -hmm. the start and I think there's also like an interesting confidence to her just because she wasn't socialized and didn't grow up in these societies like she wasn't she didn't learn shame she didn't learn that she is less capable because she's a woman yeah um yeah, so that was another piece that resonated yeah. with me. No, totally. <laughs> a lot to think lot to and here. talk about. Yeah. Um, I also, to that end, thought it was really cool that Tam, even though he's like this, you know, will-be king figure, mystery lost son, it gets almost no focus in yes. the book. Yeah, the he's only- just kind of <laughs> happening off to the side. <laughs> Yeah, and the only time, even though Sybil says from the start, like, I'll talk to Terra so I can find out how you're doing and stuff, I was thinking we'd be getting a lot more, like, check-ins with him. Yeah, me too. But she only, we only see him when he's actually talking to Sybil. Yeah, and no, there aren't, he's doing his own thing. Um, and I like that it didn't become a book about, like, the boy who would be king and was raised in the mountain. That's what I was worried it's about. so squarely about Sybil. Yeah, I was worried about it becoming that because I was like, oh, shoot, is Sybil still just part of the lineage mm-hmm. of this boy king? And then I was like, nah, we don't care about the boy king very much. No, we really don't. And even in the end, it's so anticlimactic that he's like, yeah, I'm king because Dre got blamored. Um, <laughs> Blamor! <laughs> And uh, uh, I guess I'm going to do this now. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Sybil's like, well, I haven't eaten for a week. Yeah. (laughs) I've been in a mind hole. (laughs) Oh, she's just such a, she's such a three-dimensional character. Yeah. Amazing. I like her a lot. So what's the cat's name again? Mariah. Mariah. The great black cat Mariah, which I have been saying to my cat now, who really isn't 
a great cat in terms You've of been size. saying that to chicken steaks? Yeah, the great black cat. I mean, look at him. He's, fight- <laughs> he's fighting with his leg right now. He's biting his leg. Chicken steaks, it's part of you. Yeah, each of each of the animals, the great beasts, like we mentioned, um, has their own personality too. And it's incredibly appealing to imagine having these big cats and dragons and black swans and boars just laying around your enclosure, you know. Let's discuss pretend food. Pretend food. Tricky book for pretend food when your protagonist forgets to eat at for long periods of time because they're like part immortal i think uh is <laughs> there much um so what i liked is that feeding herself no she's really not um the book capitalized really well on the comfort that you get when someone else sees that you need some help and makes some food for you mm, like yeah. it's a good feeling no matter what yeah. and Sometimes, you know, food that a loved one makes tastes better than food you could have made yourself, oh, even totally. if it's just like a simple cheese sandwich. PBJ. Um, but Corin is consistently making food for mm-hmm. Sipple, yeah. which I also like. Um, I, it's one of the pieces of Corin that I do appreciate. Um, he makes a stew for her that she specifically says this is good and at that point in the book i'm like wow that's like pretty uh wordy for a civil yeah yeah <laughs> no, a for sure. High commendation um he makes her a soup um after he finds like what food is available in the house which was more than i expected there's like some bread and vegetables and sausages yeah, she, i mean she's not maybe dying. Malika made it i mean i just i can't see Sybil's not like the kind of figure who would be responsible about keeping her larder stocked no no she has bigger things on her mind yeah um and he has a conversation with uh Siren while he's cooking, which is also unsettling. And it's the first time we hear about the giant being hit yeah. in the eye with this town. Yeah. Um, that it made me think like how much more difficult cooking would be if there was like <laughs> a wise boar who was riddling Trying me. Trying to talk to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like Siren, but I feel like he'd also be really annoying because I'd be like, please, can you just talk to me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't just need be here with me for a minute, man. Hidden wisdom and yep. everything you say. Um, and he makes her a rich soup, hot spice sausage, thick crusted bread, and heated wine, oh, which sounds, uh, sounds pretty great. Heated wine. And she says, um, Corin, this is good. I do not know which is warmer in me, your kindness or your soup, which uh, means it was probably pretty good soup because <laughs> it's a so, lot of kindness. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. <laughs> um, but like that's the main food <laughs> bit yeah. in the book. There's a lot of wine drinking and it made me a little nervous about Rock and his family plotting all the complex things they're plotting while just like drinking so much to the point that one of the brothers like actually falls asleep drunk at the table at one point Um, and they also use wine to kind of woo the bespelled leaders that Sybil calls to uh, Cyril Um, wine is definitely an important part of their diplomatic (laughs) relations (laughs) yeah it really is but there are also wine is also used in healing ways and like to help bring color back to cheeks when things have gotten too cold and Sybil hasn't eaten for days. 
Um, so yeah, overall, this is a hungry book. Yeah, um, it's a hungry not, book. Not gonna lie about that. No. Um, and I also, it also made me wonder. Well, I guess Sybil says that the animals typically hunt for themselves, yeah. but then they can't hunt when they come to Cyril because they're gonna freak people out. Um, so the hunters provide food for them. Yeah. Um, we haven't we haven't talked about killed really at all. And I was really excited to have, okay, so we're segueing into animals, just like animals, animals in this book. Um, we haven't talked about guild at all. And I was so excited to have a dragon because we haven't had one in one of our books for a bit, he's, but guild is a minimal figure. And he's also very, um, He's not a very involved dragon. Well, like, he's like, got his own s- concerns. And if you think that Sybil is internal, like, wait till you meet Guild. Right, exactly. <laughs> he is, he, he's interested he in... He slept for like a thousand years. Being an he? old dragon who's chilling with his gold and just in a constant sleep right. reflecting on memories of kings and princes that he has murdered. Yeah. Yeah. For um, gold. But he was a great, like, old-fashioned kind of dragon yeah. figure. Mm-hmm. I, I liked when he popped up and was like, my gold is gone. I got to go get it. <laughs> Someone's like, you will terrify yeah, a Yeah, you he's cannot like, do that. And he's just like, I don't, I mean, that doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't even factor into it. Where's yeah. the gold? Um, but in the end, he actually, like, donates the hoard to Cyril, which I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't really get him, but maybe it's not for me to get a dragon. Well, exactly. I don't don't think we can really get into his psyche, and I think that's appropriate. I think Patricia McKillop did a good job with that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's not a central figure in the book. Um, As we've discussed, I mean, Siren is probably my favorite of the great bees, even though he's also annoying. Um, But I just love the mental image of like this red eyed boar showing up and like blowing your mind (laughs) over and over again. And then Ghoul's Lion and the great black cat Mariah are like really sweet comfort figures. And I love that they like sleep with Tam and stuff. Um, And I appreciate thinking of them. as. And I have a little panther at home. So it made me think of Mary too. Totally. A little black cat. Um, I also appreciated the swan, like caring about the aesthetics of, of its pond. Yeah. (laughs) Being like, cause Sybil's like, we're going to put a fountain in the pond. And the swan's like, and what will it look like? Yeah. <laughs> um, Important things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, all around just just great forgotten beasts. And they didn't ever feel like repetitive or they were very creative. No, they were yeah. each their own identity. Totally. Yeah. So badass lady meter? Yeah. Um, this is the segment in which we pick our favorite badass lady. Note we are reclaiming the word badass. Um, do you want to go first or should I? My badass lady is... I always want to call her Moira. What's the cat's name? You just said Mariah. it. Mariah. My badass <laughs> lady is Mariah. The, the great black cat. The great black cat who is terrifying and also just a big snuggle baby and I rate her lots of warmed wine <laughs> now you're giving the cat wine 
<laughs> Everyone gets wine in this book. Yeah, that's true. Give the cats some wine. Um, my baddest lady is Melga. Um, yeah. We have talked a lot about Sybil in the episode. Obviously, she's an incredible character. So well written. So complex. Yeah. Um, so human. And so wizard. <laughs> but... Milka is, you know, she's on the fringes a little bit more, but she does a lot of heavy lifting in this book. Yeah. Um, I think it's because of Milka that Sybil is able to do any of the things that she can do, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, she introduces herself as Sybil's mother when she comes yeah. to visit her. Like, she she is that person. When she shows up in Cyril... It, it's just like such an owned everyone there. She's like, yeah, I walked here. Yeah, I'm just going to lay down by the lake for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll take some food. But like when you come back with it, I'm going to be gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm finished. Yeah. Okay. No, it's it's totally true. She's just flexing on everyone. <laughs> They're all just like horrified. They're like, why didn't you get a horse? And yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine. No, I like her a lot. She's a tough old bird. Yeah, she really is. Um, and I... Uh, the Wikipedia entry about this book says that Melga helps Sybil to raise Tamlorn in exchange for onions, which I guess on its face is true. But she does say, like, <laughs> I like your onions. Yeah. Can I have some? That's a pretend food that we forgot about. But I mean, <laughs> wow. Uh, just a way, to, way to reduce yeah. all the love and Seems complex emotions to, to a sentence, Wikipedia. Um and yeah, Melga is mysterious. She's cool, and she helps people out when they need it. And she also has a great line about how someone came for a love charm, and she gave it to them. And she was like, "So now she'll be miserable for the rest of her days." <laughs> <laughs> Just like it's true, Melga, you can't force love, yeah. which is a message that we go to again and again in this book. Mm-hmm. My rating for Melga is going to be a field just filled with spring onions and it's going to be Stardew Valley style. So they're all just <laughs> laying there waiting for the taking. You don't even need to cultivate them. It's going to be able to cook so many good oniony dishes. Yeah. So I think that wraps up our discussion of The Forgotten Beasts of Eld by Patricia A. McKillop. Thank you so much for listening. And again, thank you uh, listeners who requested this book. It was an amazing read. Great quarantine read, mm-hmm. um, especially the like meditation on loneliness and solitude that's yeah. contained within it. And, you know, the pros and cons of it. So now we'll announce the uh, topic of our next episode. Um, we have been trying to pick books that are a bit more widely available since we're in quarantine and libraries are closed and everything is a disaster. Um, and this is the most available book of them all. We're going to be covering Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by oh. Lewis Carroll. Um, this book is available for free on Project Gutenberg, so anybody can read it. Yeah. The copyright's up. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. And, yeah, hit us up. We're there. We're here. We're here. Um, thank you again for listening, and thank you to our listeners who requested this episode. And we hope that you're all safe, healthy, and doing A-OK. Yes. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.